Welcome to the New Books Network. This is the Nordic Asia Podcast. Welcome to the Nordic Asia Podcast, a collaboration sharing expertise on Asia across the Nordic region. I'm Duncan McCargo, Director of the Nordic Institute of Asian Studies and a Professor of Political Science at the University of Copenhagen. I'm delighted to Day to be joined by Meta Halskov Hansen to discuss the idea of ecological civilization. Meta, welcome to the Nordic Asia podcast hosted on the New Books Network. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. Great. So, Meta is Professor of China Studies at the University of Oslo. She's a prominent Nordic scholar of China who's published widely on issues ranging from education to ethnic minorities and even air pollution. And her latest co-authored book is The Great Smog of China, which was published last year by the Association for Asian Studies. Meta was a keynote speaker last week at the 2021 Nordic Nearest Council Conference, which was held in cooperation with the Nordic Association for China Studies and the University of Helsinki. So Meta, in your keynote address last week, you talked on the theme ecological civilization, Chinese dream or global strategy. And I'm sure ecological civilization sounds great in Chinese, but it's one of those (laughs) terms that doesn't really translate very well into English. So what exactly is ecological civilization? Yeah, I think you point to an important aspect of this concept because it really has a special flavor in Chinese. And when you hear it in English or I guess in any European language, it sort of sounds uh, a bit weird. And people are also reacting to it in in different Mm -hmm. ways. Because, I mean, after all, what is a civilization? That's a very grand Mm -hmm. claim, right? And ecological civilization, what is that then? I think it's interesting that at some point, even the Chinese translators realized that it may not sound so good in English. At some point, they tried other kinds of translations. It was called ecological development. Anyway, so ecological civilization is now very a widespread concept in China. And it's really a grand ideological project from the Communist Party to try to to formulate a vision of a future which is still based on economic development, but a sustainable form of development. And that's why it's called ecological civilization. Okay. I know in your keynote, you also started off by talking about the UN's sustainable development goals. And some of us may still be thinking about the the millennial... Millennium Development Goals, which I guess expired in 2015 and were then replaced by the Sustainable Development Goals. So what is the the relationship between this sort of grandiose UN idea of 17 Sustainable Development Goals and the Chinese ecological civilization? Well, of course, these are in in some ways, there are two different things, right? So we Mm. have the UN uh, agenda for a sustainable future and you have these goals that many countries have committed to. And then you have China's own, in a way, national project, which is ecological civilization, which is more based in the idea that China has a philosophical tradition, which emphasized a more harmonious relation between humankind and the natural world, that we can use this philosophical tradition of China to develop a more sustainable future. So the UN agenda and the Chinese agenda look different Mm -hmm. from each other, but I think they fit at the same time, quite well together. And if we think of the United Nations, the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, as a global language with which we can discuss our global future, then maybe the ecological civilization is like a dialect of it, in a way. It's like a local dialect. It doesn't have these specific global targets formulated, but it has a very important local dimension, and that is that it has, in a way, a nationalist aspect to it. So it's built on Chinese philosophy, 
it is also built on leadership of the Communist Party, and it is also accepting that we cannot continue the kind of economic growth and over-exploitation of resources for very much longer without really ruining our planet. I spent a few years in Japan, and I guess the Japanese would also say that they have a, an affinity with nature and some kind of equivalent mm. civilizational understanding. Is this in some way speaking to a larger East Asian notion of ecological understandings and proximity to nature? I'm not so sure, actually, that we can sort of find a specific sort of East Asian idea that we have this this uh, philosophical past. But I guess from the Chinese perspective, at least, the argument is that, that Confucianism, also Buddhism, also Taoism, they all are what ecological civilization claims to be an ecocentric approach to, to the world. Whereas the ecological civilization documents will then argue that the so-called Western philosophy is more mm -hmm. anthropocentric. It really yes. has the humans in the focus. And whether or not that is true is, of course, very much debated. But if we read the texts about ecological civilization, we see that there is a very specific form of interpretation of Confucianism, Buddhism, Taoism especially. It emphasizes this more harmonious relation between human beings and the natural world. Of course, what these texts then do not really recognize is that your philosophical thoughts are not necessarily directing your activities. Even if we accept that there is a more maybe ecocentric tradition within some philosophies in East Asia, that does not mean that governments or people necessarily have treated the natural environment better. There's no direct coherence. There might seem to be a bit of dissonance between the reality of very rapid industrialization uh, in recent decades in China and other parts of East Asia and I mean, even sort of in pre-modern times, also, mm -hmm. we have plenty of research from, for instance, uh, scholars, most notably Mark Elvin, who has really shown beyond doubt that you have had also sort of deforestation, mining. Uh, we even had air pollution in pre-modern times and so on. So whatever sort of philosophical tradition you have, that is one thing. It doesn't necessarily uh, tell us so much about how people actually dealt with their actual environment. I mean, your keynote title poses a sort of binary alternative between a domestic dream and an international strategy. I was left wondering, to your mind, which of these best describes the idea? In other words, is the primary audience for ecological civilization inside or outside China? Oh, I think definitely up to now or up to very recently, the primary audience was the Chinese people. For It was for the home market, so to speak. Ecological philosophy, the idea of it was developed already, maybe really developed already in the early 2000s. And mm -hmm. as it evolved, it sort of evolved from being mostly about philosophy and how philosophy could be used in the new era of China and so forth. And then it de eventually developed into a much more concrete framework for environmental policies in China, especially since uh, Xi Jinping endorsed mm -hmm. it in 2013 and since it was incorporated yeah. in more clearly into the constitution, then it sort of became also more, a more concrete framework for China's economic and uh, environmental policies. And still it remained, first of all, aimed at the Chinese people. But I think in recent years, what we are seeing is that following China's, in other respects, more clear strategy to be more at the center stage of international policies yes. and the international debates, the ecological civilization has also been brought into that into that uh, center stage. Right. Uh, it is it has been discussed uh, in the UN. You find it on some of the UN's homepages. We have a lot of academics who are discussing it, mm -hmm. uh, and of course, <laughs> you could even say that China now is desperately in need of some more positive 
aspects of their uh, global politics. And here, indeed, ecological civilization and China's acknowledgement of the need to engage in climate and environmental activities may be actually helping China to paint a more positive picture uh, of the country and of the leadership uh, in the global environment. I'm sure cynical commentators might see <laughs> this as just another example of PR, propaganda, greenwashing, mm. nation mm. branding, or something of that kind. But I got mm. the sense from your keynote that you're actually trying to convince us that we need to take the idea rather more seriously. I guess I'm a bit for sure. Nothing is more easy than to mm. dismiss ecological civilization and say, well, not only is it a weird concept, it's also a very convenient framework to indeed greenwash, mm. uh, for instance, the infrastructure projects uh, that is part of Belt and Road uh, initiatives. Yeah. And also you can use it to indeed just try to give a nicer face to the world of what the Chinese government is standing for. That is very easy. I, mm -hmm. I can easily follow that argument. But then at the same time, I guess... We are all so dependent in the world on China taking actively part in the climate uh, uh, policies to take mm -hmm. really serious action when it comes to all the environmental problems that have to do with loss of biodiversity, pollution, air pollution, water pollution, not least soil pollution and so forth. So if the Chinese government finds that by creating this kind of ideological framework for these policies. If they find that that is a good way to do it, that's a way of promoting these policies. It's a way of putting the concrete policies into a larger framework and vision. Mm. I find it very difficult to say that, oh, we just dismiss that. That is not good. And I think we sort of need that. We also need to cooperate with China maybe more than ever on these issues that have to do with climate and environment. And for that purpose also, actually, the ecological civilization discourse or imaginary or what you will call it, that mm -hmm. actually helps us also because it does help, in my opinion, to hold the government accountable for some of the policies that it's trying to put in place because it has this broader ideological framework now to relate to. So you're suggesting that even just on a pragmatic level, governments in other parts of the world, Europe, North America, might be wise to engage with this agenda as a way of trying to, to get China to move in a, a more environmentally friendly direction. Yeah, why not, actually? I mean, why when we have something that is of some use, both in the mm -hmm. Chinese context and in the broader global context, when addressing climate and environmental issues, why not take take them on their word and say, okay, you have this larger framework, then let's see what we can do with it. Let's see uh, how we can deal with it. But of course, again, I can see all the crit critical aspects to it. And as I said also in the talk, nothing is more easy than to ridicule the ecological civilization. Right. That, that, that is really easy, but I, I don't find it so interesting or relevant to do it, actually. So you'd like to try to find something constructive in this discourse that could be used in a way that would be fruitful? Yeah, and if I can add, I think one of the really problematic aspects about ecological civilization, which I think is much more important actually to discuss than the greenwashing part or the China speak part, the really serious problem with it is that it, as far as I understand it, it really does not question the idea that we need continued economic growth rather than a serious redistribution of resources and on yes. a global level moving towards degrowth. That is something that ecological civilization does not bring up. And I think that is deeply problematic, that it, in a way, implicitly and maybe sometimes even explicitly seem to try to create a belief that we can continue 
full speed economic growth, mm -hmm. we just do it in a more sustainable way. But I don't think, and, and also we do it by introducing new technologies. I mean, we can, technology created the problem right. and now we use technology to fix the problem. But I think there are larger debates that needs to be taken and ecological civilization does not offer us much there. Right. And you hinted at the beginning about the, the equity piece as well in all this. Yes, that has to do with the redistribution of resources, right. right? There's not really a debate about it. There's a debate, of course, about you need to uh, get rid of poverty, you need to develop mm -hmm. every area. But I mean, there's not a recognition of the fact that we have a deeply unequally developed world and right. we may, on a global le level, need to seriously consider how we can promote degrowth. And within China, because then you can say, yeah, but China is a poor country, it has to develop. Yes, in some respects. That's true. In others, certainly not anymore. Right. And you have a, a very serious problem of inequality uh, within China also. So it all comes down to an unpacking of the term civilization and civilization for <laughs> whom. <laughs> civilization <laughs> by whom, obviously. For sure, yeah. I mean, another point that you made that I found very interesting is this idea of the salience of emotions. Uh, mm. in the concept of ecological civilization. And Bill mm. Callahan actually in his keynote talked about the effective turn. Is this another example of that, bringing in emotions to try to understand these kinds of concepts? Well, I'm sort of a China scholar working mm -hmm. with anthropological uh, method methodologies. Yes. And I have done most of my research in uh, rural areas of China. I've spent years uh, in poorer and, and sort of mid-level, economically speaking, rural areas in China. And right. I've seen how the various sort of campaigns and propaganda campaigns on different topics in China have, have functioned in those areas. And that goes back to the mid-1980s. Yes. And I think for me, it just has become, through all these years, it has been very obvious to me that campaigns and propaganda really doesn't work if, it, if they don't speak to people's emotions somehow. And if you want to motivate people to do something, if you want to let them be influenced by something, emotions and feelings and intuitions and so are sometimes much more important than the sort of scientific facts of something. And we saw that very clearly in the research that uh, I did in a larger team of scholars from different disciplines on air pollution in China. Because that really became, at, at the moment in 2012, 2013, when people really realized that the the fog they were experiencing, for instance, in Beijing, was not really fog, it was really mm -hmm. smog. Right. And they, when they really realized what that meant to them, and the whole sort of the emotions exploded. I mean, this concern, the worry, the anger, and suddenly air pollution became a huge topic. And that was, of mm -hmm. course, not because air pollution was suddenly in one month so much worse than it had been the year before, but it had to do with the way that people started to respond to it and react to it. And I think ecological civilization, it's a, its its in a way an academic endeavor. And as such, mm -hmm. it doesn't speak so much to, to, to common people's emotions, I think. But the way that the government now try to promote it is through images of happy middle-class people who live in green grass and with blue yes. skies and with two children and they're all quite nicely dressed and so forth. And through these images and through the school books of children who teach their mother how to not drive a car on a Tuesday and things like that, right. they use emotions yeah. to promote the idea that we should now be not only good communist citizens, not only law-abiding citizens, 
uh, hardworking citizens, but we should also be ecological citizens. We all have a personal responsibility for developing a more a greener world. And that plays to people's emotions. And that, that I think is an important part of the ecological civilization for the home audience. I don't think that has worked so well abroad, actually, mm -hmm. but, but at home to some extent, yes. So the idea of ecological civilization is a rather grand abstraction. How is the framework implemented in practice in the Chinese context? Yeah, so that's, of course, you can actually study all of China's climate policies and environmental policies in detail and not ever think about ecological civilization. And of course, many people do so, and that's fine. You don't need ecological civilization to understand mm. what kind of climate and environmental policies China is initiating and what they are doing. But still, the many regulations we have on all sorts of uh, pollution, the targets that China has set to become carbon neutral in 2060 to peak uh, carbon emissions, uh, is it in 2030 and so forth, mm -hmm. these can also be understood as some of the concrete forms of implementing the more grandiose ideas of moving towards an ecological civilization. But you could cut it out and say, well, I mean, the ecological civilization part, that's just for the nerdy academics who mm -hmm. absolutely want to study philosophy. But you can actually also see it as part of that. And certainly you can also see it as part of this uh, Xi Jinping's grant, the China dream. Uh, there are mm -hmm. many of these concepts around that link to each other, but you could easily have all these policies on environment without the ecological civilization. Right. And in your keynote, you went a bit further by suggesting that ecological civilization could be related to what you call pop-up local initiatives. And so how do these pop-up local initiatives uh, happen? Yeah, so that's another aspect of ecological civilization, which I think we cannot, again, it would be easy to dismiss it and say, well, it's just empty words, there's nothing to it. But as it is in China now, it's very difficult for NGOs or civil organizations to carry out uh, their work. Even, mm -hmm. even environmental NGOs have come under quite some pressure. They are wanted on one hand because China wants to sort of promote their environmental policies and become more sustainable mm -hmm. ecologically. But at the same time, they want to keep control, as we know, with how uh, people organize themselves. I think the fact that we have ecological civilization as a vision or imaginary sanctioned by the Chinese state and by the Communist Party I think it does help environmental movements to find some space for actually carrying out their work. Because, I mean, some of the environmental movements uh, that I have become very interested in, they have also a kind of basis in either religion or in faith or in some yeah. spiritual visions. Uh, we have Buddhist organizations working in China who have become very engaged in the climate and environmental issues and in a way, because we have ecological civilization, which is mm -hmm. explicitly drawing on Buddhist, Taoist and Confucian ideas of the relation between human and, and nature, these civil organizations, they can actually use, for instance, uh, Buddhist arguments that we need to uh, take care of the planet or Confucian arguments that uh, filial piety which is, mm -hmm. of course, a Confucian notion where you traditionally are sort of indebted to help your parents and you have to act very well as a son or yeah. a daughter towards your parents. But now that can be expanded 
that what this actually means is you need to be very respectful to the planet because the planet mm -hmm. is actually your mother or your father. And I think ecological civilization, maybe I'm taking it a bit far, but I at least like to think about whether or not ecological civilization actually does help to create some more room for these organizations to work also in the long run for improving the planet. Yes. Can you give us any specific examples of the kind of organizations or the kind of work that you're interested in? Yeah, I'm directing now a larger research project about faith-based or religious uh, environmental movements in India and Taiwan, Vietnam and China. And one of the organizations which uh, I think is quite interesting in the, in the Chinese context is the Taiwanese very well-known Buddhist organization, which is called Ziji. Mm -hmm. uh, which has expanded into many parts of the world. And it has become quite big in mainland China also. It's very conscious not to be a missionary Buddhist organization. It doesn't really try to make other people Buddhists, mm -hmm. uh, but it engages traditionally in charity work. But it has expanded into the field of waste management, waste sorting, recycling, and things like that. It has also created a small climate museum in their headquarters in the city of Suzhou. And they are inviting high school students and junior high school students who come and learn about uh, environmental issues from some of their teachers every year. And I think that's an example of an organization that has expanded its activities into the field of environment and climate. It, doing it in a way which is, at least for the time being, acceptable for the political authorities. The organization is also emphasizing very clearly, not only that it's not trying to spread beliefs in Buddhism, mm. but also it has a stated purpose of not being political. It says explicitly that it's not engaging in politics. And then, then of course, as academics, we know that everything is politics mm -hmm. and right. environment and climate is certainly politics. Of but course. still, they managed to find a way to do this kind of work uh, in, the, in the People's Republic of China today. And I think partly helped by ecological civilization. So going forward, how do you plan to carry on this research? We are a group of people who, when uh, the COVID-19 situation uh, allows it, we will uh, mm -hmm. continue our fieldwork in India and uh, Taiwan and China, eventually also in Vietnam, where we are doing uh, anthropological fieldwork with and in different kinds of faith-based organizations mm -hmm. who are engaging in all kinds of environmental and climate issues. And then we are trying to connect to each other to see if this kind of local activities have a kind of global potential. Mm -hmm. Is it possible that what these organizations are doing manage to speak to people's emotions, to motivate change in a way that our normal scientific teaching and scientific ways of doing things cannot do? Can these organizations offer something at the global level which we need, which we don't really have in other contexts today? It's a huge claim, but it's something that we are looking into. So you hope before too long to be able to get back to China and to carry on some field work on these sorts of activities? That is certainly the hope. We have participants in the project who are based in China. They are fully able to do field work now. So we are doing, some of our members are doing quite some field work. We also have project members who are based in India. And mm -hmm. although the situation has been so difficult in India. With right. it. Yeah, so yeah. they have actually not been able to do anything yet. But of course, we hope and we also hope that the rest of us from Europe will be able to travel to Asia and, and continue our fieldwork together with our colleagues. That sounds fascinating. So there's much more to look forward to. I mean, overall, <laughs> how big a claim would you make that ecological civilization itself is, is a really substantive 
rhetorical shift that actually has more salience than might have first appeared? I don't want to make it too big. I, I think we will see in a couple of years. I see right. two scenarios. Yes. Either this concept simply dies out. Maybe this rather empty tryout. I mean, maybe it's like a bit the China dream or the whatever. Right. Uh, that's That could be. And maybe uh, internationally it will never really hit. Uh, in, in, yeah, it will not come through as something that people will start talking about. The other uh, scenario is that it actually does continue to slowly spread into debates about what China and maybe what the world will look like uh, in the future. You could imagine also that with the UN agenda for the uh, sustainable development goals, that more local places like China, like India, like Northern Europe, so will try to develop their own versions of what do we have to do to make the sustainable development goals work in this mm -hmm. context and and then maybe ecological civilization would just be one of, of many of these. But I really don't know. I mean, it could easily be that this is uh, <laughs> that in a few years time, we will look at it as something that yet another big campaign or something that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Well, we shall see. We shall see, certainly. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks very much, Meta, for joining me today to talk about the topic of ecological civilization in this uh, Chinese context. It's, it's going to be fascinating to see how this agenda plays out over the next few years. Thanks a lot for having me, for having this conversation. I also look forward to see what will happen with this concept. Thank you, Meta. I'm Duncan McCargo, Director of the Nordic Institute of Asian Studies. I've been talking to Meta Halskov Hansen, Professor of China Studies at the University of Oslo. Thank you for joining the Nordic Asia podcast. You have been listening to the Nordic Asia podcast.